0: Welcome to the Sedated Man Podcast. We're here to help you break free from all that's holding you down and provide you with the tools to embrace the brotherhood of Christ. It's time to stand back up and be the man you were meant to be. Here's your host, Mike Baker. All right, well, here we are. What I promised you was the Proving God series, and that's what this is. I'm getting ready to drop 11 different sections from a man I know who actually did a booklet called Proving the Bible's a Word of God. Now, if you would like to see the booklet itself or you would like to download the audios for yourself, they're all available for free. And if you go to my Patreon page, you'll find the links to those booklets. There are also some PowerPoints and some other things when you dig a little. Now, I know it's taken me a little while to get here, but I'm not, I wasn't interested in reinventing the wheel. And I've actually decided to drop all of these at the same time. So these are audios. This is the only portion that will be video if you're watching on YouTube and then it will go to the audio. This video will be inserted before each and every one of them. So I'm gonna try and make it brief so that you guys aren't sick of listening to me, but it it just depends. Some people come in in the middle and I want them to be caught up, okay? Now I recently, you guys remember, I've been talking for a while now on the whole, I mean, besides the trust of science thing, how the things that are going on in the world right now are not abortion and LGBTQ rights and all that. It's a failure to have faith. It's a failure to prove your own belief in God to yourself. I've always told you guys, you've got to know what you believe and you've got to know why you believe it. And we are here not to not to dance on the little fires that come off the big one. We're here to deal with the fire. Now, keep in mind, this is not all inclusive what you're about to hear. I'm getting ready to drop 11 podcasts because I want you to have all the info. These 11 podcasts should just be the beginning of your journey to get back to proving God. I recently read an article on the declining faith in America on the Daily Wire. In the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, 98% of people had faith in God. As of 2022, 81%. That might seem like you might be looking at that, Mike, that's still still a high number. Yes, it is. But we've lost serious ground here. Because once momentum gets going, it's hard to stop. 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith. And that's what this is about, really. So, these are the podcasts that will be dropped. External evidences, internal evidences, more internal evidences, prophecies of the Messiah, more messianic prophecy, the plan, phase two, phase three, four, Phase five, phase six, phase six, seven, and phase seven, eight. Remember, once again, this is a skeleton of the amount of information that's out there. If you look on my Patreon page, there is a ton of other books that you can go through to look at the science, to look at why God does exist. People get really bristly when you say prove. But the truth is, the proof is out there. There is enough evidence to make the case. It's up to us. It's up to you. Don't be the guy who sits on his butt when his family needs him to be the guy who steps up, who takes a stand, and who, who then, by proving God, can put all of this other nonsense to the side, and we can move forward. Remember, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. If you got questions of me, you can email me at mike at the city of Man.com. If you have questions of Jay, the guy who's actually talking in this, you can reach him through the websites listed on Patreon. Good luck. My prayers are with you. Dig in and dig hard. Baker out.
1: Well, we've been kind of working through these (coughs) proof that the Bible is the Word of God um, side presentations that uh, Luke Wilson put together (coughs) based on a study book of the same title. And uh, it's it's critical that we actually prove that the Bible is the Word of God. And now, most people don't really think you can. And most people that believe the Bible don't think you can. Um, So they'll use terms like evidence or uh, sometimes even more evidence. But for theological reasons, they actually can't prove that the Bible is the word of God. But you can. And uh, in simple terms, uh, Old Testament historical prophecies prove that the Old Testament is the word of God. Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah prove that Matthew, Mark, Luke and John is the word of God. The Old Testament prophecies of the church <coughs> prove that actually Revelation is the Word of God. And right now, we're working on the section where we're dealing with the prophecies of the Messiah. You know, now, it depends on, you, on how you count them. Um, you know, when I was coming out of atheism, that's one of the things that I started looking at was those prophecies. And later on, I went through, <coughs> and uh, I underlined... Every single prophecy of Jesus in the Old Testament, and uh, Lana probably has that Bible stash somewhere where all those underlines are at. Um, and um, by my count, it's about 750. And you know, it's you can count it a little bit different ways. You know, you could look at it and there's one verse that is, is a prophecy, or you could look at it as that verse has four prophecies in it. Because some do, so it'd depend a little bit on how you count them. But when you, no matter how you count them, the prophecies concerning Jesus are just absolutely massive. And what it would take for one man to fulfill them, let's say we have some of these prophecies concerning his suffering. You know, talked about his birth and and uh, his uh, you know resurrection, some details on his death. But you know, here for example out of Isaiah. He said, I gave my back to those who strike me, my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. He said, I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. And again, his appearance was marred more than any man, and he's four more than the sons of man. And so here's one of the depictions, you know, of of Jesus on the cross and what he went through. If you saw the Mel Gibson presentation, The Passion of Christ, he also uh, get an idea of what it was like, or what he looked like, or what he had to go through. It's kind of interesting. The guy that actually played Jesus in that movie, uh, he had a board strapped to his back that you couldn't see. So when they were lashing him, uh, but they missed twice. <laughs> so, so he got a he got a shot a couple times. Uh, I think he was also struck by lightning when he was hanging on the cross. So, uh, <clears throat> you know, so probably. Probably don't want to try that again for a while. Maybe the message coming through there. But uh, here's another one. is Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. Um, It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation. Humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Out of Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Now... I kind of, uh, I'll put it in these terms, Lone Cliff, a book tonight. It's a its a Bible atlas of what it is. And there's a couple pages in there that deal with a, the, the solar eclipse that took place in Nineveh in about 763 B.C. And because the Ninevite history is parallel to Old Testament history, we can match the biblical dates to the dates of Nineveh, and then we can match our dates so we can actually put the whole thing together. And Zechariah, for example, prophesied in round figures uh, 500 years before Christ. That's a pretty amazing prophecy here that uh, your king is coming. Now, people just thought about that. You know, a king uh, uh, coming in with an army to conquer, uh, doesn't ride a donkey. Okay, donkeys. Uh, You know, donkeys aren't bad for getting you across rugged country if you don't want to travel too fast and uh, if you don't intend on doing it in any sort of uh, fighting fashion. Okay. Now, see what it says here. He's just and endowed with salvation. To the Jewish mind, salvation means deliverance from a physical enemy. And so, people would be looking at that. They'd say, okay, he's, he's coming. And uh, at first, they, they thought, well, maybe he's coming to get rid of the Persians. But the Persians were were smashed by Alexander the Great and the Greeks. And they thought, well, then maybe the Messiah would come and he'd smash the, uh, the Greeks, particularly the Seleucids that uh, reigned out of uh, Syria. But no... <coughs> The, the Romans came and step by step subjugated them. And by the time we get to the time of Jesus, you know, they're they're hopeful that the Messiah is going to come and run the Romans out. And so that's why, you know, the scripture records that when he rides into Jerusalem on that donkey, there's hundreds of thousands of people lining the route uh, that he's traveling because they think, yep, he's bringing salvation. See, the Romans are gone. What they didn't know, see, is that God had already arranged for salvation to be salvation of the soul rather than salvation from a physical enemy. And so when they're looking at this prophecy, they're misreading it. They're they're saying later, about a week later, they say, hey, if you're the king of the Jews, uh, come down off the cross and we'll believe in you. See, they think he has to come down off the cross to get rid of the Romans. Well, in a way he does. But he didn't come to get rid of the Romans. He came to get rid of sin. And uh, i tell you, sin's a lot more formidable enemy than the Romans ever thought of being. So, 500 years ahead of time, you got this picture. And if they'd thought about it, see, if he's bringing physical salvation, he's not coming in on a donkey. And he's coming in on a some sort of steeds, a white charger or... <clears throat> You know, maybe a horse named Bosiphas or something like that, and and uh, he's a uh, well. Dad, check your history; you might might find something kind of interesting pretty close to that. Uh, and uh, you know, but he's bringing bringing that army in. See, well, you don't lead an army on a donkey; you just don't do it. See, so if they'd have thought about it, you know, just a little bit, they said, "Hmm, I wonder what kind of salvation he's bringing." But there it is, just laid in there. 500 years ahead of time for anybody to go back and look at. And again, remember these prophecies, uh, they're in that Old Testament and they're in these thousands of scrolls in the, in the Hebrew and then also the Greek language that are circulated throughout all the Jewish communities. Um, say they're translated from Hebrew to Greek in between 250 to 200 B.C. So... <coughs> they're They're there, and they've been there, and uh, you know people that want to deny the existence of Jesus and want to deny the authority of the scriptures, they don't like dealing with that, and so, like a lot of other things, they just shut their mind off. Anna Ragers stopped in for a little chat with me, I think it was yesterday, and I really appreciate anna she's been really digging into the evolution creation stuff and and uh, I mean tearing apart the second law of thermodynamics and and uh she she kinda came up to me and she said, Mr. Wilson, she said the this the, the single cell. She said that would be an example of irreducible complexity, wouldn't it? Okay. I'm thinking, add a girl, Anna. I mean that's you know, that's that's great stuff and, and great digging, see? And we had a little discussion. See, the point is anybody that would think that that cell evolved actually deliberately shut their brain off. They actually refuse to deal with the complexity of the cell and what kind of engineering it would actually take uh, to produce that. See, they've, they've deliberately shut their brain off. But that's not unusual. See, they, they also, the same type of thinking, shut their brain off here and up. They want to deal with these very clear and specific prophecies concerning Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. Um, Questions or thoughts or comments on any of this? Yeah, Mel. When Solomon was laying claim to the throne of David, one of the things that he did was ride through the city on david's donkey now somehow or another the people recognized that donkey as being david whether it was trappings on it or whatever it was but that was part of the the fact that he was riding david's donkey was not up for anybody else to ride (laughs) absolutely i mean that was that was a key point because and david gave those specific instructions said you know get the king's mule you know, put Solomon on that mule, ride him into town onto that. And that'd be the say, uh <coughs> that'd be like anybody touching your Corvette? Assuming you had one. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. But if Solomon gets to drive the Corvette, yeah, that's uh that's you know, that's what it is. Good point. Other comment. So, you know, that that would kinda lead into that if somebody was again was paid attention. <coughs> But it wouldn't be a conquering king. It would be one that's already positioned, as Solomon was, as King David. You know, when he came into Jerusalem, he had to run the Jebusites out and, and uh, <clears throat> you know, lay siege to the city. All the things that went along with that. Other comments? Okay, so there's uh, one of the artist renditions of the entrance into Jerusalem on the donkey. Uh, These seven details which we spent the last couple of weeks looking at of Jesus' life, you know, his his, uh, prophecies of his birth, uh, his suffering, his entrance into Jerusalem on the donkey, his crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection. Just seven simple ones, um, you know, proclaim the truthfulness of the entire New Testament record. When you when you think about it, who could orchestrate that? Uh, okay, let's let's say let's say you're Jesus and you're not really the Messiah, but you've been looking looking to the scriptures and think, I wonder if I can pull this off. Okay, well, say so you can you can plan that riding into Jerusalem on the donkey. Now, to get the crowds there, anybody that's ever tried to get a crowd. Well, that's a lot of work, all right? And so to get the hundreds of thousands of people there, you know, think, think, of, think of what God orchestrated um, in, in Israel when he set up the Passover, um, the Feast of Passover, and then seven weeks later, the Feast of Weeks, which later was got the name Pentecost, and then the, the Feast in the Fall, uh, Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, where all the Jews uh, came. At New Testament time, we're talking millions of them. So think of, think of what God did to set it up so that there was a crowd available when he went into Jerusalem on the donkey. Um, one of the things that God also required is he required that the Jew be uh, ritually clean or, or purified before he could participate in the Passover. So he had hundreds of thousands of Jews in town a week early. So they go through the purification ritual and be prepared. And then these were the guys that were that were ready. Okay. now another thing, see, Jesus also raised Lazarus from the dead. And he did that in the presence of both hostile and favorable witnesses. Now, the hostile witnesses took that to the to the ranking Jews so that they would go ahead and continue to engineer the, the final plans for crucifixion or putting to Jesus to death. The favorable witnesses took it out to all the crowds that were coming in uh, to Jerusalem. So, I mean, everybody's buzzing about uh, that. And then the word gets out he's coming into Jerusalem on the donkey. And so they're ready. See, I mean, all the things that it took to orchestrate that uh, far beyond human capability when you think about it. But... If he's really intelligent, he maybe could have planned the riding Jerusalem on a donkey. But pretty hard to plan for the Roman soldiers gambling for his clothes. I mean, you could even maybe do your crucifixion. Um, every year in the Philippines, there's people who get crucified at uh, what's called Easter. I always call it resurrection, uh, Lord's Day. <coughs> and... Um, I thought maybe they actually really did get crucified, but I found out this last time when I was in the Philippines. I found out that they actually do strap them up with ropes. They don't. <clears throat> I mean, they maybe drive a symbolic spike partway through, so a little bit of blood, but they <clears throat> they're hanging up there on those crosses on ropes. See, they actually go through a crucifixion just just for show. I mean, the suicide bombers, you know, they blow it up and they're done, right? I mean, that's the plan, see. I mean, but, okay, dying on the cross, one of the most agonizing deaths. I mean, uh, you've heard different times uh, people describe what a crucifixion is like. And uh, essentially you suffocate. You know, and drown. Drown your own fluid that you can't get out of there. I mean, it's a pretty t- tough type of death, see. But if he did plan his crucifixion, how do you, how do you make sure that the soldiers... Cast lots. How do you make sure they roll the dice for your clothes? Um, You could maybe control your actions and getting the crucifixion done, but trying to control Roman soldiers, that's a lot tougher. So, like I say, there's at least 150 specific prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament. Um, Say you could arrange maybe even ultimately your crucifixion. Um, How do you arrange your resurrection from the dead? How do you get that? How do you get that done? Uh, <laughs> I mean, my favorite example here is Houdini. You know, Houdini is the, was the old great escape artist, and uh, nobody knew know exactly what kind of tricks he is. But um, <clears throat> you know, I have seen at different times at his grave, I believe it's in Toronto, um, in Canada. But every year at Halloween, hundreds of his followers gather at his gravesite, thinking that maybe this is a year that the great Houdini makes his escape from death. Couldn't do it. See, So how do you arrange you your resurrection? See, that's, that's a pretty good-sized challenge. <clears throat> See, we're moving over to the idea there's only one possible explanation. That's divine planning in action. Thoughts or comments here? So, you know what we're doing is we're laying the foundation. See that not just evidence, we're laying the foundation of proof that the Bible is the Word of God. So that's the end of part four. So we get to move into part five here. Let's say these are um, these are available, and you can you can put them on your flash drive. Videos are available on your cell phone. <laughs> you know, <coughs> I mean, just absolutely. I mean, the technology still continues to amaze me. You know, just trying to keep up with it. It wasn't that long ago that I was working really hard to prepare overhead projections. And I think we still got the overhead projector back in this closet anymore. Of course, the younger people. You know, you ask them what an overhead projector is. They don't know. <coughs> and. You know, even this uh, projector here, when we first got it, quite a number of years ago, that was four thousand dollars. You know, it's been all over the world, so it's, you know, it's had good use. I mean, the toughest time was in the Philippines, <coughs> and uh, see, they make these things, so they run on two twenty volt and fifty cycle, as well as a hundred and twenty volt sixty cycle. See, which is pretty handy. <coughs> so I got this thing plugged in the Philippines. In the place where I'm doing the presentation, I think Gary was with me. I'm not sure if Gary or Mikkel was with me. There's water on the floor. <laughs> you have these 220-volt extension cords running through the water. And uh, my projector's hooked up to that. And, and I'm just off to the edge of the water. And uh, we're, we're praying this is going to go. <laughs> and it did. <clears throat> well, part five, <clears throat> we get into the, another section, the internal evidences. we're going to we're going to look at something that I call the plan. And what we've got here is something laid out step by step, piece by piece, from the very earliest portions of the Old Testament. And laid out on a scope and a scale so large that there's no no possible way that could be duplicated uh, by the human mind. So... As I mentioned, the Old Testament prophecies prove that the author of the prophecies is the author of history. Historical prophecies prove that the Old Testament is the Word of God. Messianic prophecies prove that Jesus the Christ, the Gospel is the Word of God. And what we, what we call, call the plan here proves the entire New Testament, in other words, specifically Acts through Revelation in simple terms, is also the Word of God and the Bible is one complete inspired unit. The Bible really is an amazing book. You know, I mean, you start digging in and, and following some of the threads. I remember having a Bible study in Butte one time and a couple of guys sitting there and one guy said, well, said, I'll tell you how they wrote the Bible. He said, guys got drunk one night and everybody said, well, write down your thoughts on scraps of paper and they did and they put that together and that's the Bible. You know, I mean... You know, how do you, how do you fix stupid? You know, I mean, that's, I mean that's, that's an ignorant comment by people that never actually really took a look at it. Or if they did, you know, they, they refused to think about it. Because it's not, I mean, they not some scraps of thoughts for some drunks. Okay. <clears throat> Phase one of the plan is uh, from the creation to the flood. And uh, the creation itself is actually pretty amazing. You know, it begins in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. And uh, in the jill Miller videos, they they make a good point. All the elements are of the physical universe are right here in the beginning it's time. Uh, God force created energy, the heavens, space, and the earth, matter. <clears throat> there it is. It's just straightforward. A simple statement. It's all there, you know. And you know, those of us engineering types that have studied the first law and the second law of thermodynamics. The first law of thermodynamics law is that the combination of energy and matter can neither be created nor destroyed. know, back in the days of Newton, it was uh, neither matter nor energy <coughs> could be created or destroyed, but <coughs> Since we understand that, you know, through, say, fusion, for example, or fission, sometimes, uh, you can convert some mass to energy. You know, it's a combination of mass and energy. Okay, <clears throat> But the idea is it can neither be created nor destroyed. Now, what's that mean? It means that whatever there was in the beginning is what there is. That's the law. That's, that's the first law of thermodynamics. Um, well, it's kind of what he said okay and uh the uh it's it's and you can state it mathematically all these laws can be stated uh, mathematically if if you want to do that and you have to actually use them in your engineering calculations of course the second command was let there be light (coughs) and there was light um it's really interesting the way God actually did this because he's proven that he's the source of life <coughs> rather than the sun so the very first command is, is light then he separated the waters below the firmament from the waters above the firmament wrapped himself in thick darkness <coughs> then on day three God divided the seas from the land and uh, had, the, had the plants <coughs> actually come see now notice the plants are here before the, there's a sun and the moon he, and he does things like that to prove he's God, uh, not the other way around, then he made the sun the moon the stars it's It's amazing to me if you go to the rarefied environments in the university and um really start discussing the say the big bang theory a lot of these guys believe that the entire all the matter in the universe was compacted into a space smaller than an electron. And the idea was it's so ideally organized, you know, and um, something destabilized it. And so we got the Big Bang. And it's pretty interesting how these guys actually think that you're going to get order out of chaos. Um, Any household with kids in it knows you don't get order out of chaos. (laughs) Okay. If that's not how it works, okay? And uh, see, but again, people got to shut their brains off to reality in order to start drawing the conclusions. Um, I saw something on the internet the other day, so I grabbed a quick look at it. You know, the, the the theme of it was evolution is a fact. And so I thought, well, I'll just take a quick look. I didn't have, you know, more than a couple minutes, so I knew it was going to be quick. But sure enough, old Richard Dawkins um, <clears throat> was on there. And uh, explaining to us why evolution's a fact, and to do that, they just, you know, they again, they got to shut their brain off to any any big picture type of thinking, like order out of chaos, for example. Day five, God created the sea creatures and the birds, pretty obvious. And day six, He created the animals, land animals, and and man. Now, I think significant is. Animals are not man. You know, or put it another way, uh, man's not an animal. I mean, I, yeah, some people get pretty close to being animals, but, uh, <clears throat> you know, man's distinct and separate from animals. The Apostle Paul talks about, you know, there's one flesh of birds and another flesh of fish. and See, man's man's distinct and separate from the animals. Um Man, of of all the creatures on earth, is a moral being. Uh, that is, there are moral issues uh, with man. And if you and uh, Mr. Wolf are, are out hunting together, and uh, someplace along the line Mr. Wolf kills and eats you, uh, Mr. Wolf didn't do anything immoral because, you know, wolves don't have moral or immorality. Immor- but if you and I are out hunting together, <laughs> And I kill you and eat you. Um, you know, now we got a moral issue. And uh, see, man's different than animals. So he created the animals, and then he created man. And uh, God rested. You know, when he did man; he rested. It's the last rest he got. Ever since ever since man's been on the earth, since then, hadn't got any rest. Kids keeping him awake all the time. You know, important part of the phase here, again, these are pretty simple, straightforward stuff to us, but you got to remember, when you're making your presentation to people who, a lot of them have no Bible knowledge at all. And, um, you know, I mean, you know, a person who's grown up with uh, Madonna, Lady Gaga, uh, and Tom and Katie Cruz, I mean, I mean, what what knowledge might they have? I remember the the Chinese girl uh, actually she's from Taiwan. Uh, I met her on an airplane. She's flying from Minneapolis back to Bozeman, and she was coming from Taiwan to work in Yellowstone Park. And I said uh, I got her name, and uh, she uh, her name was, her English name was Claire. She said, "Don't try to pronounce my Chinese name. You won't." You won't get it right. So my English name is Claire. I said, well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to give you my phone number because I said, I've been overseas. I said, do you know anybody here? She said, no, I don't. I said, let me give you my phone number uh, because you may need some help. So one evening, I'm actually going up to Sean's place uh, before he's married and had kids and and stuff. And uh, I think Jan was there, if my memory is correct. And. And I get this phone call. I said, "Mr. Wilson, this is Claire." I said, "What's uh, what's wrong, Claire?" She said, uh, "We were on our way from Yellowstone Park to Bozeman. We hit a deer." And I said, "Really?" I said, uh, "Where are you at right now?" She said, "Well, we are we are at Walmart. We can't go any further." So I called my buddy Matt Wilson. You uh, know. And uh sure enough he went over and and got him going but when uh she finished her tour of duty in Yellowstone Park she and a couple other you know several other Taiwanese people they came and stayed with us overnight and um the rest of them left one day before she did cuz she wanted to spend one day with me so I took her on my great falls run and um uh, you know so we sat in about five or six bible studies that day and, we got done. I said, uh, Claire, I said, uh, do you understand much of what was going on? She said, well, when you speak normal English, I understand maybe 90%. She said, but when you start talking Bible, she says, I, 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 do, not, I do not understand. I, I, don't, I don't understand words. And I said, Claire, do you, have you ever heard of Jesus? Yes, I, 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 have, I hear of Jesus. I said, have you ever heard of Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve? Didn't know. Taiwan. Well, I mean, that's a place where they have all kinds of gods. And uh, they've got one particular god that they set it in the sun, and it gets its energy from the sun, and so they have to keep moving the god all day, (laughs) keep it in the sunlight. Don't let it in the shade. I mean, See, this, this is the world we live in. You know, sometimes in the United States of America, we we, we don't quite get the perception. See? So, sometimes you got to go back and you got to put these basic things in place for people. And God had a very simple command to Adam. He said, there's a, a tree of knowledge of good and evil here in the garden, and the day you eat that fruit, that day you die. Don't touch it. <clears throat> well... Eve got the command from Adam. Adam got directly from God. Then Ad, Adam had to tell Eve because she was created a little bit later. And uh, Satan worked on her, got her to eat. Uh, then she shared it with her, her husband. The Bible says Adam listened to his wife. Uh, at time, one of those times he shouldn't have. And uh, they both died. That is, they died spiritually. See, the physical death... Was going to happen because of separation from the tree of life. Adam's going to live 900 years, 30 years physically, but he died that day spiritually. The woman, the old serpent said, "The woman, you won't die." And the serpent's been there from the beginning, also. It's not just some fictitious thing here. I mean, There's a this tremendous war of good and evil going on inside the skull of every single person that's ever walked this planet. And the battle is intense. And what's at stake is the everlasting, eternal soul of every single human, every single human being that's ever lived or will ever live on this planet. They lied. You won't die. Well, they died. Because God's, shall we use this expression, a man of his word. And so God drove him out. Couldn't keep house rules. Out. Was, yeah. <clears throat> now, of course, you know, he tried to make some fig leaves, which that's, you know, that's really going to work. So God killed a couple animals there, made skins for them, kind of get him started, show them how to do it. And uh, they're on their own. And uh, Cherubim, the flaming sword there at the entrance to the Garden of Eden to keep them out so they don't. Ever get to touch that tree of life and live forever? Well, how things proceed. Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. Uh, Cain to bring sacrifice. Abel brought the firstlings of the flock. Cain brought fruit of the ground. And God didn't accept Cain's. Accepted Abel's. So, solution. Kill him you know, he's going to be Mr. Goody Two-Shoes and, and God's going to favor him and, you know, he's just going to make me look bad. <clears throat> then, you know, he's yeah, you know, he doesn't deserve to live. See, when people get thinking certain thoughts, facts don't matter. God told Cain, he said, look, if you do right, it'll go well with you. Just do the right thing. Why is it so hard just to do the right thing? All Cain had to do is bring the right sacrifice. Not a problem. Nope. Had to make it personal. And so that's how the first family began. <clears throat> it was Adam and Eve having to clean up the remains of son number two and witness the banishment of the older son from the rest of the family. <clears throat> from now on, he's going to have to go around begging for a living because the ground isn't going to produce anything from him anymore. And he's going to have to go up hat in hands to the rest of the family as the one who murdered the brother and try to get some pittance to live on. That's how it's going to be from from Cain from this point on. That's how it started. I think it's improved any. Gotten more enlightened since Genesis chapter four. Not as Finally, Finally, as we work our way down 1,656 years to, <clears throat> to the flood, God's analysis is the heart of man is on evil continually from his youth up. Not, not a very good commentary. God said, I am sorry that I made man on the earth. I mean, that's a sorry bunch down there. So, you can destroy it and start over. Okay. Violence twice, he said, because of the violence that's in their hands. See, now you see, you see the work of Satan behind that. Jesus' analysis of Satan was that he was a murderer from the beginning. Murderer from the beginning. See, violence. And so Satan is the one that orchestrates all that violence. I wonder, I wonder how much influence Satan has on the development of all the video games. Do you ever think that a, a video game called Candyland would sell very well? It has to be violent. Think about that. And, and what he uses to, to orchestrate that. So, solution? Well, we'll just, we'll just clean the bunch out and start over. Now, it's it's kind of interesting because um, there's human tracks in the sediment. All different parts of this world. Africa, Kazakhstan, Texas, New Mexico. The coal old time coal miners working in the coal mine over by Red Lodge, place called Bear Creek. In in the coal, I uh, found a, a fossilized man. He's about twelve foot high and he had six fingers and six toes and double row of teeth. And uh it was it was more than one. It wasn't like you know, it wasn't like just one person saw it. It was a whole bunch of them. But see, somehow that disappeared. And a very similar fossil was found in California. Same type of thing. About 12 foot high, six fingers, six toes, double row of teeth. Okay. Uh, I guess that'd be some real wisdom teeth, huh? And uh, <clears throat> But, you know, there's, there's uh, remains of mankind in the flood all over. I had a Bible study with a guy grew up uh, near Hayes, Montana in the uh, Rocky Boys Reservation up there. And he said, uh, he said, I was up there one day and I said, I see a human human vertebrae. <clears throat> kind of in the, you know, kind of a little wash. He said, so I kind of followed it up, found another one. And he said, up there in the cliff, he said, there's a whole human skeleton in that cliff. And he said, he um, said, Boy, if he said if you can get a topographic map of the uh, the um, bear paws, he said I'll show you exactly where that is. He says I don't know if the state of Montana will ever let me back in the state again, and I may have to stay in North Dakota. But he said I'd like you to know where it's at so you can go dig it out if you can if you'd like. Well, <clears throat> I mean it's all over, you know the Paluxy River tracks. Um, what did you have? You had a massive worldwide flood, is what you had, and the estimated two to two and a half billion inhabitants perished in the flood because they're all sinners. I mean, it's only eight, only eight righteous. I mean, it's all. See, what if what if they took a poll in those days and you know whether the flood was coming or not? What do you think the polling data showed? Okay. (laughs) Well, flood wiped out the human race, started over. See, there's a lesson here, phase one of God's plan. And that phase is the lesson is that man left to himself becomes totally, absolutely corrupt. In other words, man's conscience is not strong enough to make him do right. Everybody's got one. Sometimes they wear it off to where it's nothing more than a small nubbin, but everybody's got one. Everybody knows it's wrong to steal, especially if you're the one getting stolen from. Everybody knows it's wrong to commit murder, especially if it's your family that's getting murdered. Those things are built into mankind. Everybody's got a conscience, see? But what's the lesson? Conscience of man isn't strong enough to make him do right. So we're going to have to start over. So when you're out here driving along and looking the countryside over, you want to realize that all this strata out here, Some spots in the earth 35,000 feet deep. 35,000 feet strata. It was all laid down during the flood. And uh, every field that sort of looks green some parts of the year, (coughs) that's a graveyard. In every mountain peak is a tombstone. Reminding mankind of the wrath of God one time poured out on this planet because of the sinfulness of mankind and their refusal to walk in God's ways. Comments or thoughts on any of that? Again, anybody take a look, you know, an objective look. Strata, the way it really is, not the way the paleontologists necessarily picture it, um, the way it really is, you know, you'd know that there's a massive, massive flood was the only way you could have that strata and the massive amounts of fossils. I mean, get Scott Schweitzer, take you to the top of Bridger sometime and See, so you can find a few fossils up there, a huh? little petrified wood maybe, and seashells, and I mean, it's all there. So, God started over, and he let, let things kind of develop a little bit. He let the downward cycle go. When uh, Noah and the family landed, they landed on the top of Mount Ararat. If you read that account, you know they had to sit in that ark about a year. And came to rest, and you know, the, the waters had to come down. Now, little Taylor Baggett was working on one of her paces, and it was talking about knowing the flood, and it was talking about how the flood waters drained off. And Taylor, she's kind of a no nonsense, down to earth type little girl, and she said, uh, Mr. Wilson, well, where'd the water go? Really good question, isn't it? And I said, well, I get a second. We'll come upstairs and we'll look at a map of the United States. And I'll show you where the, what's called the continental shelf is. And I'll show you where the ocean basin sank. See, the ocean basin sank. And there's a lot of, I mean, you could, you know, show that pretty easy to anybody who won't take a look at it. And uh, that's where the water went. So when you, when you realize how big the ocean is, compared to how big the land mass is, the ocean doesn't have to sink very much to get all the water out. Side note, since the time of the flood, the thing stabilized, the ocean level has risen approximately 300 feet due to the melting ice cap and the glaciers melting back. I just thought I'd throw that out. Been, the ocean level's been rising at the rate of about one foot per century for the last, say, 1,000 years or so. So a lot of the propaganda and nonsense that's thrown at us I remember very specifically, I was in uh, Preaching a Meeting in Kalispell about 1980, and uh, I'd never seen Glacier Park, so uh, some of you remember Virgil McNeil. (coughs) You know, we decided we had a little bit of time, so we took a quick trip through Glacier Park. We came over the top of uh, Logan Pass and parked in a spot where we could look out to the south and see the Jackson Glacier out there. Of course, you've got this huge chasm here. uh, running down to St. Mary's Lake. And and uh, there, was a, there was a sign posted there by the uh, Park Service. 3,500 years ago, this valley was full of ice. That's, since that's not a politically correct sign anymore, that's gone. <laughs> it used to be there. Because they got a pretty good idea how fast that ice was melting back. So that's all stuff that happened in connection with the flood. So Noah and the family landed in the ark, had to had park her there in the top of Ararat for a year, not only to let the waters drain off, but to let the ground solidify. Okay. Imagine stepping off into 5,000 feet of mud OK. And right, when well, I get visitors from the east, you know, and get a chance to take in the Great Falls I like to, if I can, run the Wolf Creek Canyon in the daytime between Helen and Great Falls, <coughs> because uh, when you come out of Hilger Valley and bust into the Wolf Creek Canyon, <coughs> you got all this sediment, I mean, all this strata stacked up there. <coughs> and I right, ask my guests, I say, well, this really looks old, doesn't it? I mean, this is really old. Because uh, it's 1.3 billion years old. That's what they tell us. See, it's, it's called Precambrian rock. It's really interesting. You know, I'll go along and I'll say, look at right here. See, notice where all the layers are bent like this. All of them. Hundreds of feet. All bent the same. <clears throat> How do you bend hundreds of feet of strata if it's already hardened rock? See, if you've got rock that's already hard, you can bend it. But, you know, you have to heat it up for it's almost molten, so it's soft. Now, when you heat rock, it changes form. It becomes a different kind of rock. For example, limestone becomes marble. Okay. Uh, granite becomes nice. That's uh, G-N-E-I-S-S, so nobody makes any mistakes there. Um, uh, shale becomes slate. And quartz becomes something you never heard of called, or sandstone becomes something you never heard of called quartzite. Okay. But it's a different mineral, changes form, metamorphic. Okay. Now this rock is sitting there bent like that, hundreds of feet of it, without any metamorphosis. Well, the only way that can happen is if all that rock was all soft when it got bent together. So it wasn't laid down layer at a time, and then millions of years later, another layer, and then... No, it was all laid down at the same time. It was all soft. And there's lots of places on this earth like that. Um, in Maryland, in... Um, Long highway, Interstate 68, there's something called Sidling Hill. And they shaved off a chunk of the hill in order to build the interstate through. And in fact, they made a nice rest area there because it's kind of interesting. All the rock looks like this. You know, the hill is kind of steep like this, but all the rock layers, you know, and we're talking lots of rock layers, have this really nice curve to oh, them without metamorphosis. You know, flood really happened. So Noah and the family <coughs> let her set, got the signal from God, oh, it's okay. So they came down off of Mount Ararat. Now, Mount Ararat itself is pretty interesting because Mount Ararat is what's called pillow lava. It's a mountain that's about 17,000 feet high. starts at the base of 2,000. 15,000 feet <coughs> relief, the world's longest unbroken slope on land. Okay. And uh, Rock's pillow lava. Now, my mom used to make candy when I was a kid, something like caramel or something. And when she was trying to make sure she'd get it just right, she had, you know, the, the water there boiling stuff. And then she'd take and, and drop a, you know, chunk of the candy or whatever it was in If it formed a ball just right, you know, when she somehow knew when it was just right. And uh, but but that's, uh, you know, that's 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 what lava does underneath the water. When you got, you know, now the Hawaii volcanoes are different kind of lava. All right. They're uh, they're basalt, a shield volcano, but the land volcanoes are um, a granite base. And when that forms under water, it forms these little little balls just like caramel and water. Now Mount Ararat is a mountain composed entirely of pillow lava. That is the, the mountain was formed under water. Well, surprise. So they came down off the ark and um, they kind of worked their way down, found some fertile ground down there in the uh, land between the rivers. Between a couple of rivers that, that Noah renamed after the original rivers of the, the land he called the Tigris and Euphrates. the way we pronounce them. And uh, started farming down there. And uh, it's really interesting because uh, if you go to your History of Civilization course, guess where? Civilization began. See, prehistory, they make up anything they want. Do anything written. I mean, you can interpret the pictograph writings on the wall any way you want. I think Oog was saying this. You know, there's a kind of a cartoon hanging in Bolson in printing. You know, it's got a couple cave guys typed there and And one guy says to the other, he said, uh, I was never much good at hunting or fishing, so I went into graphic design. It's got to draw some pictographs on the wall there. Um, As soon as we get history, see where it's written. Okay, it starts in Mesopotamia. You know, with the, the ancient Sumerian peoples. And they wrote it in cuneiform language. So. That's where mankind gets a start, and uh, how do you think it's going to go? Uh, downhill? That'd be a good guess. Probably better stop there on a positive note.
0: Thanks for listening to The Sedated Man, bringing Christian men back to power in their homes, congregations, and communities. We'll see you next time.